Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With another Wednesday Night Wars edition, while we still have them, of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again to talk all things NXT and AEW, another loaded Wednesday night of professional wrestling on television. Great stuff from both shows. NXT comes in developing a lot of major storylines ahead of its forthcoming TakeOver Stand and Deliver special two-night event, while AEW went to the extreme with a great main event featuring Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker in a lights-out match. We're going to talk about all of that and more on today's show. But folks, you know how we get things going on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We take care of a little business. The first piece of business. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet every single show as soon as it is live, we tweet wrestling with you guys all week long. Everything from TV shows to news, whatever is the hot topic of the day. We also provide pre and post show polls. That way you guys can let us know what you think about major pay-per-views and special events. And we certainly have one of those coming up this weekend, WWE Fastlane on Sunday. So we will do a pre-show poll, we will do a post-show poll, and we will discuss all of that on our special instant analysis podcast that will air Sunday night as soon as WWE Fastlane goes off the air. And I would be remiss as long as I'm self-promoting here to remind you not to miss our ultimate preview of WWE Fastlane, which came out on Tuesday this week. So listen to that show, listen to this show, and get prepared for everything going down on Sunday. But hey, there's another piece of business, and that is to remind you to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating, and review for this show. We need some reviews here in the month of March. This should be the biggest month of the year for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We have a huge week of content planned at the beginning of April for WrestleMania week. I cannot wait to let you all in on that secret in the coming weeks. But for right now, you can help me out and drop a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts so you can let people know how much you love this show. And don't forget to tell your friends and family as well. So with that, let's get into it. Let's talk NXT and AEW. Relatively short intro today. And as we normally do, we will start with NXT. And the biggest storyline on the show was really Finn Balor and Karrion Cross facing off. So Balor opened saying he beat everyone in front of him that NXT has provided. And as NXT champion, he's been basically waiting for Cross. He told Cross that he walks and talks like a champion, but doesn't have what it takes to actually be champion. Cross promised he'd choke his ass out of takeover, while Balor said Cross would just choke. Scarlett said she had a vision of them as two tra- champions draped in gold, and that everything happens for a reason. Then, Pretty much randomly out of nowhere. Only Lurkin and Danny Burch come out trying to put over Pete Dunne, which, like, fine, but Balor already beat his ass. Scarlet then walks over to them and starts seducing them. That's the most action I've had all year. I mean, she looked freaking amazing on Wednesday, let's just be honest. Uh, And she got them to agree to put their titles on the line in the main event of the show. Going into the match, I actually thought... There was a chance they changed the titles since Lorcan and Birch are so weak as champions and it just doesn't seem like 
there's something strong to sink your teeth into with them or any real, there's plenty of tag team feuds going on, but there's not really any tag team title level feuds going on. So I thought they could change the titles and then flip them back to someone else next week. But that was my mentality going into the main event, which was that tag team title match, Lurkin and Birch defending against Balor and Cross. Birch got hurt like right away, two minutes into the match after the bell on a suplex. They showed him getting worked on at ringside. And when that was happening, considering the show is live, I I then thought, well, maybe they call an audible here because he is not re-entering the match. And he never did ultimately re-enter the match. Lorcan knocked Cross off the ring apron. Balor hit Lorcan with a missile dropkick outside and his body flew into Scarlet, who got absolutely leveled and knocked down. It was a pretty big bump by her. I mean, I know she's a wrestler by trade, but she hasn't wrestled in like nearly two years at this point. So it was a pretty big bump. I think she was like in heels and black leather. So like, it's also, you're not like set up and ready to be wrestling when you are dressed like that. So I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool for her to take that bump. And it was good to see her get physically involved. We've yet to really see her do that yet in NXT. Uh, Cross grabbed Balor by the neck and ran him into the hockey glass, basically as punishment for kicking Lorcan into her before rolling him back in the ring. And Lorcan immediately hit a flying European uppercut and got the win. Cross immediately came in and hit Lorcan with two Doomsday Saitos before destroying Balor with a suplex and then attempting to choke him out. Scarlet stopped him from doing that and picked Balor up, which basically just allowed Cross to hit the forearm to the back of the head. She laid the title over his chest and said he can't escape fate. So ultimately, I thought this was good booking and it was a really hot finish to the show. Scarlet did a great job. She was actually the star of the entire thing throughout the entire two hours. I I go back to the stuff with Cross here. Um... He has improved since his return. He's been more exciting in the ring. But this forearm to the back of the head finisher, it's extremely tough to set up. Just like Chris Jericho's Judas is, that's a little bit easier because at least you're facing the person and you're rotating yourself. But to force someone to turn around and then run with a forearm at the back of their head, is it devastating? Sure. But it just kind of reminds me of like Big Show's punch. It's like, okay, it's a KO punch. That's not really exciting. This is a physical huge dude in Karrion Cross who can do some exciting shit and has some really good finishers. Come up with something different. The straight jacket is a great submission, but he needs a different like pinfall type of finisher. That ain't it. I am more excited for a Finn Balor Karrion Cross match than I thought I would be. Initially, the thought was, hey, uh, of course, as soon as they have it, they're just going to put the title back on Cross. And I do still ultimately think that's what happens. But I'm not dreading that as much as I was, I guess, a couple months ago, mainly because Balor's had a fantastic run with the NXT title. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for a lot of great matches and good storylines. The other major storyline from NXT was Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. Cole called out O'Reilly saying he will never reach his level of success and that he signed his death warrant by attacking him last week. William Regal said O'Reilly wasn't cleared last week and is now even further away from returning to the ring. O'Reilly popped up with a pre-taped promo saying he won't rest until he ends Cole like he tried to end his career after an 11-year friendship. Cole got in Regal's face and said he wasn't going to wait for O'Reilly to find him. Later in the show, Regal gets called out of the Capitol Wrestling Center. O'Reilly was thrown in the back of a police car as Cole screamed that he tried to run him off the road. Regal even later said that he will demand both come to the CWC next week and he'll have a resolution to their situation. I thought this was all well done. It was a great way to enhance the rivalry as we still have another three weeks of build until we get to take over. 
The expectation for me right now is this will be an unsanctioned match of some type. The whole onus of it being that they're going to be unable to clear Kyle O'Reilly. But then you get into the question of, well, is that a good piece of booking? And if they do that, is it a cinematic match? Is it pre-taped or is it something that they still do within the confines of the CWC? So I hope it is unsanctioned. I think that's great. I, I'm, I'm okay with hardcore and them, you know, false count anywhere going all over the place. But ultimately, I do hope it's a live match. I don't really want to see another pre-taped NXT match because look, WWE's done it pretty damn well on the main roster. NXT largely has not. I mean, you had the Adam Cole Velveteen Dream Street Fight. I thought people were too harsh on that. I thought it was pretty good. You also had the Johnny Gargano Tomasa Champa match, which is something that we all wanted to be, you know, a spectacle, incredible. And that was largely a failure. And that was indeed their fault. So they're really not even like, I'd almost say they're 0 for 2 on it. So I don't really want to go to a third here. Um, Oh, there was also the Halloween Havoc one with Dexter Loomis and Cameron Grimes. That was actually pretty good, but that was more campy, tongue in cheek. This is obviously more serious. So you could say they're one for three on cinematic matches if you want. And I just hope that they don't do another one here. There's fans in the CWC, let them see it. Don't tape it. I would just roll it as an unsanctioned, hardcore type of match in front of a crowd and let them go that way. As far as everything else that happened on NXT, you had Austin Theory against Dexter Loomis. Theory got in a bunch of offense early. This was one of the faster paced Loomis matches, which definitely mattered in terms of my enjoyment of it. Loomis offered a hand to help Theory up and Theory hugged him thinking they were friends again. Loomis reversed ATL into a sit down Uranagi and won with silence, which is a Not only is it a good submission, it's a great name for a submission for a guy like Dexter Loomis. This was Theory's best match in NXT. This was Loomis's best match so far in NXT. Most people probably won't single this match out and put it over, but I personally really enjoyed it. Wasn't the best match on the show, wasn't the best match on the night, but it was something that you could kind of sink your teeth into and say, wow, that's a damn good match from two guys who were kind of, were waiting to see Blossom. And I think we got the first glimpse of that in this match. And they worked really well together and I hope we get more from them long-term in the future. Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon cut a short promo when the Robert Stone brand came up to challenge for the titles next week. Nothing really to add here. Uh, Obviously the expectation is that the way ends up fighting Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon at TakeOver Stand and Deliver, which would make a lot of sense as a women's tag team title match. Legato Del Fantasma faced Brizongo. Tyler Breeze had a great run, but Legato took out Fandango and countered the Unprettier with their Russian leg sweep kick for the win. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Give some of these finishers names. In NXT, I don't know what takes so long to just give a name to that finisher. Uh, It was a good enough match, but more importantly, the right team went over in Legato. We've been stressing that they need to get built as a group and that the tag team needs some wins. And that's what we've gotten from them the last couple of weeks. Santos Escobar grabbed the headset and called out Jordan Devlin. Escobar stood atop the announce table looking sharp in his suit as Devlin ranted that he's the real champion. Escobar said he redefined the division and challenged Devlin at takeover. And then Devlin came right back. His answer was a headbutt and then a slingshot suplex. Escobar's mouth got busted open. It was a really good segment. The match itself, when it happens, will be a banger. But look, this is a contested title situation. You have Shawn Michaels on your booking committee. In no way should this be anything but a ladder match. You have to hang the title and have two guys going after it. And I would love to see Escobar and Devlin in a ladder match. I hope they do it. I'm projecting here onto them. I'm hoping I'm sending out the vibes to WWE and NXT. Paul Levesque, 
listen to the Silver King ladder match, Santos Escobar and Jordan Devlin, please. Uh, there was a short video package about Saray. The former Sari is how I think her name was said. She's one of the best women's wrestlers in the world uh, from Japan and a WWE signee a year ago who actually got stuck overseas due to the pandemic. She'll be the Warrior of the Sun. That's the nickname that they gave her. Great nickname. Uh, good job making the signing feel like a big deal in the video package. But of course, I don't know when she's going to be making her debut. My assumption is they show her at Stand and Deliver in the crowd, and then she debuts on the NXT after. That's what they normally do. But if they go in that direction, I want more. I want more vignettes. I want to learn more about her. What WWE is not doing with Rhea Ripley, I want NXT to do with Saray. And my assumption is that they will do that. Basically because historically they do it. Uh, Dakota Kai faced Zoe Stark in a really fun match. Stark hit a great slingshot splash to the outside. Kai came back with a couple of big kicks for near falls. Stark got a ton of offense and looked great, but Kai eventually pulled her off the top rope with a Kota kick for the win. Kai had to win coming off that tag team loss, but this was another great look for Stark, who is really getting pushed hard by NXT after debuting. The heels trash talk Stark afterwards when Io Shirai came out to kind of have Stark's back before shoving an NXT Women's Championship contract into Gonzalez's chest. Later in the show, Kai asked Gonzalez to team with her next week against Shirai and Stark and to hold off taking her title match. I mean, I didn't get this when she could just sign the contract for TakeOver. Like, you know that event's coming up, so why would you think the contract would be for next week, right? So that was a little sloppy in my opinion, but that's obviously the way they're booking it is that Gonzalez is gonna hold off the presumption is that Shirai and Stark will win their tag team match next week, and then Gonzalez will sign the contract and they will fight at TakeOver Stand and Deliver. The Grizzled Young Veterans called out MSK in a taped promo, saying the attack last week was the biggest mistake of their careers. That was really all they said. There was nothing much to add here, but certainly we will see this MSK Grizzled Young Veterans feud develop once, I believe it's Wes Lee who broke his hand or, or fractured his hand, once he recovers. Tommaso Ciampa faced Marcel Bartel. Ciampa was supposed to be in a tag team match with Thatcher against Imperium. He cut a strange promo backstage that I honestly didn't understand what the hell Ciampa was trying to say, uh, but he took out Fabian Eichner in the match by throwing Bartel into him and then hit Willow's bell for the win. It was shorter than I expected. I guess when you really think about it, you're talking about Ciampa, one of the best in NXT and a former champion. Him getting over Bartel that quickly maybe isn't much of a surprise from a booking standpoint. It just was an exceptionally short match. It probably could have gone two or three more minutes, I guess. Uh, right after the match, Walter's music hit. Champa was outnumbered and got hit with a huge powerbomb by Walter. If they run this match at TakeOver, it would be absolutely insane. Champa versus Walter. That it would be an absolute barn burner. Now, I do want to note, because I did say Thatcher was absent. I forgot to mention this earlier in the show. A lot of what happened on NXT actually was changed at the last minute because reportedly there was a quote-unquote outbreak of COVID-19 at NXT. Now, I don't know if that's the case because there were still a shitload of people on the show, but clearly there were a couple of people who got it and were unable to appear. Um, the assumption is Alexander Wolfe may have been one of those persons. Perhaps Timothy Thatcher was one of those persons. Uh, and there were others, you know, other matches that were scheduled for the show that ultimately did not go down. But again, I don't know that either of them had it. They could have just booked around one of them or changed the booking for a different reason. It's really tough to know. But this was an NXT show that was pieced together over the couple of days leading into it, not pre-planned 
at least a week out like most NXT episodes are. Despite all of that, I still thought it came off pretty well. We'll wrap up here with LA Knight against Austin Gray. This was Knight's in-ring debut for NXT. He had a slingshot shoulder tackle into the ring and a pop-up power slam. Bronson Reed then came out with his blue jacket to do a fat guy little coat gimmick, you know, like Tommy Boy. Uh, Gray capitalized with some offense and Knight finished him with a really interesting cutter that was like a kick to the chest like you would do for a stunner, but then throwing the head down to the canvas, almost like a lights out type of move. Decent debut match for him. I'm still not a fan of the name. The gimmick is just kind of annoying. Uh, The look, I mean, he looks pretty cool, I guess, when he's wearing the leather jacket and shit. But then in the ring, he just has bright bright red tights with a couple black letters on them. So he didn't look exceptionally cool. I'd probably go with pants instead of tights. I don't know. Um, It's not hitting for me right now. And the logo, I've said it a million times. It looks like the old SmackDown Live logo. So like, I don't even know who came up with that as the logo. But everything about the presentation of LA Knight for me to this point is more of a zero than a hero. But again, he's just starting out. There's a lot of people that come in NXT and their initial gimmick sucks and they eventually figure things out. Andrade is a great example. Uh, So, you know, the jury is out on LA Knight. But before we move on to talk about AEW, I did want to just quickly discuss the NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver card as it appears to be shaping up right now. So we're going to have the NXT Championship Balor against Cross. Cole against O'Reilly in what we assume will be an unsanctioned match of some type. Uh, Shirai against Gonzalez for the Women's Championship. Escobar versus Devlin for the Cruiserweight Championship. Now, the other matches that are, those all basically seem to be happening. You know, largely either announced or the storyline is pushing so heavy in that direction, like it seems we're getting those. These other three matches are more my projection, things I think are gonna happen but it seems likely. One of them is Gargano against Dexter Loomis for the North American Championship. This has been a long-term feud. Obviously, Loomis just beat Theory, so Gargano would seem to be the next person, and right now he does not have another North American title challenger. Women's Tag Team Championship, I mentioned earlier, Blackheart and Moon against The Way. Candice LeRae gave them the stink eye, basically, after they won the title two weeks ago. So now you kind of think, okay, that will head in that direction. I would be very surprised if they just introduced these titles and don't have them on a two-night takeover. So that's my expectation there. And then, of course, Walter against Champa, or possibly something with Imperium against Champa and Thatcher. So that is seven matches right now. A normal takeover card would have five. So if they are going to do a two-night show, I guess you could say maybe four on Peacock and four on TV with some additional storytelling type of segments, or maybe you do go to 10. And if they do go to 10, then outside of those seven I just mentioned, they got to find three other matches. And it's not that they can't do it. LA Knight, Bronson Reed would make a lot of sense. And there's some other ones that they can put on there. But if you add LA Knight and Bronson Reed, that gets you to eight. And that's probably what I think the maximum will be. I'd be really surprised if they have other major built matches. Now, maybe for the NXT TV show, they might only put like three matches on plus some other TV show type of storytelling and stuff to promote the second night of TakeOver. Then they put five matches on the second card. I'm not sure how they're going to divide it up yet. But I do think that those eight matches that I just mentioned will ultimately all take place on and make up either the entirety or the majority of NXT TakeOver stand and deliver. Now, before we hop over to AEW Dynamite, I need to remind you that support for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast 
is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technological developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and we have an exclusive offer here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast for you, our listeners. 20% off plus free shipping. All you need is the code G-O-MAN at manscaped.com. This show, folks, is all about big meat men slapping meat. And Manscaped is all about protecting men's meat. They hooked me up with a bunch of tools from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit. And from a lifetime of trimming down low, I can tell you I've never used something as perfectly designed as their lawnmower. This Perfect Package 3.0 from Manscaped includes the best ball hair trimmer ever, as I mentioned, the Lawnmower 3.0. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology. I definitely feel more confidence shaving the boys with this. And as a guy always trimming his facial hair, it's nice to have a separate trimmer made specifically for this job. You can't use the same trimmer on both. That would be nasty. Also in the Perfect Package 3.0 are some products to keep your balls dry and smelling fresh, as well as a couple free gifts, including a pair of super comfortable, high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs and a travel shed bag for all of those goodies. Trim your junk. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code GOMAN at manscaped.com. Each purchase directly supports the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. That's why we are giving you 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Again, just use code GOMAN. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped, your balls, and the Silver King will thank you. So with that, let's move on to AEW Dynamite, where the big topic coming out of the show is indeed the lights out main event, Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker. Now, a lot happened here, so I'm going to try to break it down as quickly as I can. Baker hit an air raid crash on the stage for a one count, like right at the beginning of the match. Rosa bladed and was bleeding from her hairline early. Baker superplexed her onto a pile of chairs out of a commercial break. Rosa dropkicked a ladder, propped up on the bottom rope into Baker's head. She got massively busted open. I'm not sure that it was a blade job, but I think it was. And she just went far too deep because, man, it was a full crimson mask all over her face. Baker drove Rosa into a ladder with a flatliner. Rosa came back with an avalanche Death Valley driver into a ladder, but only got a two count somehow. Rosa then ate a DDT and then a stomp into a chair, but again, only a two count somehow. Uh, Baker had a great moment smiling into the camera with her face absolutely covered in the crimson mask. And then she poured a bunch of thumbtacks in the ring. Rosa drop kicked Rebel through a table and twice countered Baker with a powerbomb into the thumbtacks for another near fall. So again, another kick out. Uh, Baker caught Rosa with the lockjaw, but Rosa rolled her back into the thumbtacks to break it. And Rosa finally took Baker off the top rope and hit an avalanche thunder driver through a table outside for the win. I expected a good match. I did not expect a great match. You can say what you will about the brutality of the whole thing. This over-delivered, and it was a great, great main event. I thought, again, this was a spot where Baker should have won and been catapulted into a title run, considering Rosa's already got the opportunity at Sheeta and lost to her. So it's like, well, why not use this type of match and star-making performance to have Baker win and then put her over Sheeta, make her the new champion. 
So I did think that this was a missed opportunity to put Baker over in that regard, but she still got over massively in the match because she did a great job. And holy shit, this thing ruled. This is the number one AEW women's match of all time for me. Not a long history, but nevertheless, this is number one with a bullet. I saw a certain someone uh, who will remain nameless on this show saying this was among the best American women's matches ever. And I'm not anywhere close to that. I'm just not. I mean, it doesn't hold a candle to the Kaylee Ray, Mikey Setamora match that we just saw this year. Now I know that was in the United Kingdom, but I'm saying in terms of match of the year, this didn't really hold a candle to that. Between all of the different Becky and Charlotte matches and Sasha and Bailey matches, plus some of the stuff Asuka's done in WWE with Sasha Banks, not to mention all of the women's matches in NXT historically, Asuka Ember Moon, Kyrie Sane against Shayna Baszler, Io Shirai against Candice LeRae. This is not among my top 10 American women's matches all time, but that's not bad at all. It's in my top 20. It was fantastic. It was a must watch all the same. Maybe it's just recently biased on that person's part. Maybe it's a different type of bias. I don't know. I also saw some people saying that you have to stop criticizing AEW and the way they booked the women's division because they gave us a women's main event for the first time in two years. No, that's not how it works. One great match does not retroactively make what they've done to this point acceptable. WWE's women's evolution doesn't make the bra and panty matches and all the shit that they did back in the day it doesn't erase it, right? It it says, yes, they've moved forward and they've progressed massively, but it doesn't change the criticisms that we had on WWE back in the day. And this doesn't change the criticisms I've had on AEW's women's division. But in terms of this match, this booking, it was great. It deserves a shitload of praise. Maybe not the people saying it's one of the best American women's matches of all time, because when you have that many near falls for, that all should have legitimately been falls, and you really largely were focused on the hardcore aspect and and exceptional deep blade jobs to tell a lot of that story, I don't know that it really fits into the confines of some great women's wrestling matches like Sasha Banks and Bayley. But that is, you know, splitting hairs at this point. It's a top 15, probably, American women's match of all time. It was fantastic. It was AEW's best women's match, and it deserves 95% of the praise it's getting. If you don't watch AEW and you only listen to these recaps to hear my takes on AEW, you should seek out this match in particular. It is totally worth watching. Now, the other big storyline from Dynamite was MJF unveiling his new faction, giving more information about it as it is called the Pinnacle. So Tully Blanchard came out, he introduced it. I think it's a pretty good name. Uh, The revelation would have been better, but this certainly works. MJF called himself Judas and said his plan all along was to kill the inner circle from the inside out, not to take it over. He then put over every member of the Pinnacle. It was funny when he got to Sean Spears, he didn't have that much to say, but he still put over everyone and said that when his career is over, he will be the greatest of all time, not Chris Jericho. MJF said they will win every title and be the backbone of AEW for years to come. I think some people missed, this was actually a parody of Inner Circle's debut promo, the one that Chris Jericho cut. Not a parody in that it was comedic, but it was basically MJF's take on the Inner Circle's introductory promo. This was extremely well done. Top heel stuff, once again, from MJF. They later in the show, at the end of the show almost, stole the inner circle locker room. Got a DM slide from Chad Plasinka at I Don't Exaggerate. He said, okay, in kayfabe, MJF said he wanted to destroy the inner circle from the inside out. Didn't he just reunite Jericho and Sammy 
and make the inner circle strong again by turning on and humiliating them. So I get where you're coming from with this, but my answer is no, because the only reason Jericho and Sammy split in the first place was because of MJF. So it's almost they just reverted back and they're unchanged. Now, did he split them up? No, he has not succeeded in doing that. Did he cause some internal strife that made them less cohesive than they otherwise would have been at this point? That is where I think he played a role, where he created those seeds of doubt in Sammy and in Jericho and in Santana and Ortiz because of the whole tag team fiasco. So I do think that MJF, he didn't split them up. He didn't destroy them from the inside out, but he did create some rifts where maybe they didn't exist in the in the past. And that is where I think, in a kayfabe standpoint, his comments about his goals kind of play out. So I'm not going to give a demerit there, uh, but I, I get where you're coming from, but I just don't don't agree with that. Uh, now the show opened, we'll talk about everything else that happened on AEW, with Cody against Penta El Zero Miedo. It was a huge match in name value to open the show. Cody, Penta, I want to see that shit, right? If I'm watching, if I'm flipping back and forth between AEW and NXT, NXT did give me the main event storyline with Finn Balor and Karrion Cross, but I'm not going to miss a Cody and Penta match. I want to see that. Penta went after the injured shoulder. Cody hit a really soft tope suicida, driving Penta into a propped up barricade. It hardly moved and later got a near fall. Penta kicked out of the crossroads and again out of an underhook sit-down bomb. He then broke a figure four, yanked back on Cody's shoulder into a submission, but then got caught by a roll-up while celebrating that he did a good submission move. So Cody basically no-sold that and Penta basically no-sold all his finishers and stuff. Penta then attacked Cody's shoulder after. This was a really disappointing match. I had huge expectations for it. It was slow. It was really boring. The finish was nonsensical, having this guy kick out of a finisher and extra big moves only to get weakly rolled up in the end. After the match, they ran an angle with QT Marshall showing up late. They've been teasing him like leaving the Nightmare family. Who gives a shit about QT Marshall? I don't need you to play off the Cody Penta storyline by giving me a QT Marshall storyline. So... The opening of the show, as great as this episode of Dynamite was, it was a very good episode. I'm not even going to give this a zero because it doesn't deserve a zero, but this was really, really disappointing and one of the worst parts of the entire show, one of the worst parts of the entire Wednesday night of wrestling, Cody versus Penta. That should never be the case. This was terribly booked. And that's now the second Cody match in like two and a half months or so. The other one being that Peter Avalon match that has just been horrendously booked. And I don't know if that's Cody's fault or Arn Anderson's fault. I don't know who the agent for his matches is, but not good. Really not good stuff. Uh, Don Callis interrupted a Young Bucks promo. He admitted they never actually kicked him. He said they're not elite anymore and are killing their careers, which is why Kenny Omega doesn't recognize them. He asked them to look in the mirror and see if they actually believed they're as good as they were in New Japan. I really loved that. I thought it was a great promo from Callis and a really smart kind of storyline on Hey, Bucks, you kind of aren't the wrestlers that you used to be, which I'm not a Young Bucks fan at all, but even I kind of agree that they were more exciting in New Japan than they are so far in AEW. Now, John Moxley and Eddie Kingston fought the Good Brothers in a planned tag team match. It was not the main event, but it was pretty much the co-main event of the show. Kingston was hysterical in a backstage promo, co-signing shit Moxley was saying, doing a Macho Man impression at one point. To outshine Mox in a dual promo is tough, but Kingston did it, in my opinion. Uh, the Good Brothers attacked before the match began and hit Mox with the weakest magic killer that I've ever seen at ringside. 
Mox eventually rolled up Carl Anderson for the win. Omega sat, the match was nothing, nothing to really talk about. Omega sat in a chair to taunt Mox, but Kingston pounced him out of it and then ate a beating with a magic killer and then got his ankle snapped inside of a chair. They were all set to do the same thing to Mox's neck when the Young Bucks ran down to call Omega off. Omega and the Good Brothers tried to get a too sweet thing going with all of them, but the Bucks denied them and pissed Omega off. As I said, it was mediocre from a match standpoint, but the storytelling was on point here. I do wonder how far they're going to go down the Bullet Club path. Maybe the Bucks actually end up turning in the end, and this is all a charade. I'm definitely interested. I want to see where it's going. Jade Cargill faced Danny Jordan. Jade got a big entrance, nearly broke Jordan's neck on a release German suplex, and hit the glam slam for the win. Hey, they had two women's matches in one show, and one of them in the first hour. So I guess that is something. That is progress. Jurassic Express and Bear Country fought Matt Hardy, Private Party, and Butcher and the Blade in a 10-man tag team match. Hardy hit Jungle Boy with a huge side effect. Private Party hit Marco Stunt with Gin and Juice, and then Hardy with the twist of fate for the win. Unspectacular, total waste of time match. Uh, Christian Cage was interviewed backstage and said he's a workhorse and he's not in AEW to take anyone's spot except Kenny Omega, who he's going to go after right away. Christian then said he's in AEW to cement his legacy. The promo was okay, but the great thing was Christian saying he knew he needed to rack up wins before actually getting the title shot. That was a criticism I had last week where it seemed like they were going to make him the number one contender without being on the rankings, without even having a match in AEW. As I said, if win-loss record and rankings are all going to mean anything, then they need to mean something. You have to actually use them. And it was really good for Christian to come into AEW and cement that he recognizes those rankings matter. That was really important. Uh, Tony Schiavone brought out Sting. Did I say that right? For the 85th time, Sting just stood there. Darby Allen complained about only defending the TNT title three times since November. Well, Darby, the reason he only defended it three times is because every week they had you and Sting come out and stand on stage and do absolutely nothing. That's why. Uh, And he offered a shot to anyone in Dark Order. Lance Archer interrupted just like he did last week and criticized Sting for getting more time than he does just like last week. Again, Sting literally just stood there and didn't say shit for the entire segment. He was just there for them to deliver on advertising Sting. It's like he flies in every week just to stand there. It's, give me one episode without Sting. I just don't want to see the same segment every single time. Uh, But Jake Roberts then issued a warning to Sting and then they walked away. Then fucking Team Taz walks out again. And I'm just like incensed, like, How are they doing Team Taz with these guys again? Brian Cage says he respects Sting and the rest of Team Taz yelled at him for being respectful. And then he walked away past them. Pulling him out of Team Taz would seemingly be a bad move considering like 80% of his gimmick revolves around Team Taz, Taz's old slogans, the FTW title. I don't even know the last time I've seen that title. This was all repetitive. It was largely garbage. I mean, are we really going to get now Sting and Darby Allen on stage and Lance Archer and Jake Roberts come out every week? Is that really like, we're just going to replace Team Taz with them and we're going to get that for the next three months until AEW's next pay-per-view? I just, I can't take it anymore with Sting. I mean, you guys know I'm not a Sting fan, period, but I can enjoy Sting. I enjoyed the, the match they had, the street fight. But I can't keep doing this on TV every week. I'm going to start fast forwarding. If next week, I'm just going to say this. If next week it's the same segment again, 
with Sting and Lance Archer and Sting doesn't talk or says one line and then nothing else happens and they walk away, I'm going to start fast forwarding Sting segments because it's not good for my mental health. It is, if, if, if WWE did this, they'd be absolutely trashed for doing the same shit every single week. This is garbage and booking needs to be better. I'm going to say it. Ray Phoenix faced Angelico, athletic, entertaining, short match in the normal women's slot. Phoenix hit a crucifix bomb and a sit-down cradle tombstone pile driver for the easy win. And lastly, Miro was working out and AEW called him unhinged because they were shining a really bright red light on him for no reason. Miro told Kip Sabian the worst thing for one's career is having their wife at, at ringside with them. Pretty smart advice coming from him. Of course, I didn't have a huge takeaway, but the blowout match that we thought we were going to have with best friends, it looks like we're now going to have that next week. Miro and Kip Sabian against Orange Cassidy and Chuck with the stipulation that if Orange Cassidy and Chuck lose, Chuck will be Miro's butler forever. So, you know, okay. I mean, the promo was fine and I'm excited to finally see this thing end next week. So that's it really. Uh, NXT and AEW. Do I think one show is substantially better than the other? I don't know. I mean, AEW probably was marginally better, but largely because of the main event. I think what stood out for me on Wednesday night was the Thunder Rosa Britt Baker match. This is probably another one of those where we say, hey, NXT did it have the better show top to bottom two hours, probably, but AEW definitely had the best match on the entire night. Rosa and Britt Baker delivered. Hopefully this taught AEW some lessons about how to book its women's division. I do not want to see lights out matches every week. I don't want to see them every month. I don't want to see more than two of them or three of them in an entire year from the company. But this delivered to the stipulation, it delivered to the buildup, and it delivered to being in the main event slot. So credit where it's due to them. Um, you go, you should go and watch this match. And as far as NXT goes, it was largely a, a normal episode. But, you know, I would seek out the Finn Balor and Karrion Cross stuff just to get a better taste of how they're building towards the TakeOver main event. And the Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly stuff as well. You should get a taste of that too. But... I think what NXT is doing right now over the ensuing weeks is building to take over, stand and deliver. And it does seem almost assured that the NXT TV episode after WrestleMania week, after TakeOver, stand and deliver will be moved to Tuesday and that that first Tuesday episode will be on April 13th. So it is going to be interesting to see how they book that. Do they announce it ahead of time? Do they make that announcement on stand and deliver? Do they pull in a huge rating for that final Wednesday show where they can kind of walk off into the sunset and say, hey, we beat AEW overall and we're moving to Tuesday, you know, largely because USA Network needs the slot for hockey, which is the truth. That is why they're moving. But certainly they also have not been winning the ratings war. So we'll find all of that out before we get out of here with the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. A couple of reminders. First, what's to come later this week? We will have instant analysis of WWE Fastlane coming on Sunday night, as soon as the show goes off the air, we will come back on Tuesday with the WWE episode, largely talking about things that happened on SmackDown that don't factor into the pay-per-view and everything from Raw. And then we will be back on Thursday talking all things NXT and AEW. So a loaded next seven days of episodes here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Do not forget to head on over to Twitter and follow us at Getting Overcast for show releases, to talk wrestling with me all week long, to send in DM slides and questions for episodes, and to participate in our pre- and post-show 
pay-per-view polls. And there's one more thing you can do for us. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop us a five-star rating and review. We've been running for a year, folks. I know how many of you listen, and I know how many reviews there are. That means there's still a ton of people who can head on over to Apple Podcasts and drop a review. Those reviews, listenership, telling your friends and family helps us grow. And as we grow, there's more more cool stuff we can do. And hopefully, the Silver King and Chris Vanini can maybe make a little money here if you guys actually support us. And one of the best ways you can do that is by going over to manscaped.com, entering code GOMAN for 20% off plus free shipping. Each sale helps us. We basically need to get a couple handfuls of sales, and then we get a big promotional partnership from Manscaped. So these are products that you probably need because most of our listeners, not all, but most of our listeners are men. So head on over to Manscaped. G-O-Man is the code. 20% off and free shipping. Your balls will thank you in the Silver King. Thank you. That's it. I'm getting out of here. The Silver King's done. That means I'm going to leave you with just three final words until our WWE Fastlane Instant Analysis on Sunday. And those three words, you know them. Bye for now.